Church, I'm going to encourage you just for a moment just to spend time in the presence of the Holy Spirit, casting burdens, weights, anything that is heavy upon your heart. I encourage you now just to cast it upon him. Just take a moment and spend some time with the Lord. Lord, we bless your name in this place this morning. We're so thankful that you're faithful to the end, that you are faithful no matter what. We're so thankful in the life of each and every single person here or listening with us this morning. If we walked with you for a day, for a month, or for many, many years, Lord, we can sing with full confidence of your faithfulness, Lord. We can look back at our life and see time and time again that your hand was there, that your fingerprints was upon each and every single trial, tribulation, blessing. No matter what we went through, you were there. You were faithful. Lord, even as they set up memorial stones, faithful stones in the Old Testament to declare your victories and your faithfulness in their life, we can see those stones in our lives as well. Times we didn't know what we were going to do. Times we didn't think we were going to make it through. But God. And so God, whatever is heavy upon our heart this morning, whatever is weighing your people down, Lord, we have full confidence that you will bring us through it, Lord, because you are good. And so, Lord, we want to take this time to confess our shortcomings, those areas that we missed the mark. Lord, those times that we doubt, those times that we waver, those times that we are faithless, we leave those at your feet asking that you would give us an extra measure of faith, an extra measure of grace. Lord, we want to be like you. We want to have more of you and less of us. And so, Lord, we ask this morning that you would do a great work in this place, Lord. God, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would be moving and touching and ministering to each one personally and individually, Lord. It's amazing that we can come into this house of worship and glorify you and lift your name. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, you can touch and meet needs. Lord, you see, you know. And so, God, we pray as we leave this place, as we're getting into our cars, as we're going to lunch and to fellowship with families, that we could just talk about your faithfulness, how you answered a prayer, how you gave us an answer to direction that we may need, that you lifted burdens, that you encouraged hearts. Lord, that no one would leave disappointed from this place. We need you, Lord. We need you. We want you. God, that no one would leave, who needs a healing, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, Lord. That you'd be Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who is our healer. That you'd be Jehovah Shalom, Lord. That you would give peace to troubled hearts. Deliver, set free, save souls. 
So we give you the rest of the time asking you to be glorified in this place, Lord. God, we want to take a moment and just pray for our country, Lord. We give America to you. We we trust that you have a plan and a purpose for even what's going on. We're not sure, but we know that you are. We're not sure what the future holds, but you hold the future, God. And so, Lord, we just pray for the election. There's some that say it's done. There's some that say it's not. We want your will to be done. We want you to expose lies and plots and schemes on any side. Lord, we want your perfect will to be done. In our country, in our land, in our lives. We want nothing more than your will. So we trust you now. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. And we all say, amen. God bless you. We turn with you. Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 27. Hard to believe. Coming to the conclusion of our study of the book of Acts, just one more uh, Sunday morning message next week. Acts, chapter 27, and we're looking at verses 18 through 32. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, They began to jettison the cargo. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Since neither sun nor stars had appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. When they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood in their midst and said, Men, You ought to have followed my advice and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. And yet, now, I urge you to keep up your courage. For there shall be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. When the 14th night had come, we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea about midnight. The sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. A little further, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. Fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. The sailors were trying to escape from the ship. They had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. And then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. So we left off with Paul in Caesarea standing trial. He is being accused of violation of Jewish law, blasphemy against God because he proclaimed the divine nature of Jesus. 
but he's also being accused of treason against Caesar because he's proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, the King of the Jews. Now, Paul knows he's not going to get a fair trial here in Israel, and so he appeals to Caesar. And that was the right of every Roman citizen. Paul was born a Jew in Tarsus, but he was also born a Roman citizen. And this was his right. Just like in our judicial system, we have the right. We don't think the decision is right and fair. We have the right to appeal to a higher court. And so Paul appeals to Caesar. So it's time to go. They board the ship. They head out from Caesarea across the Mediterranean toward Rome. They dock at a town called Fair Haven, which is on the island of Crete, just below the southern tip of Greece. Paul goes to the captain of the ship and says, hey, it's, it's late October. It's foolish to sail the Mediterranean after October. You know the, the violent storms that uh, come to the sea after October. We need to winter here in Fairhaven and then sail on to our destination. Well, the captain is not going to take uh, advice from some Jewish rabbi when he's been navigating the open seas for all his life, so he doesn't pay any attention to Paul. So they set sail on their way to Italy. Sure enough, they're not gone very long before a violent wind comes down from the mountains onto the sea and stirs up a raging storm. They have a name for the wind. It's called Urakilo, which means northeaster. Just like we have a name for winds that come into uh, Southern California, the dry downslope winds that originate inland blow through Southern California toward the sea. We call them Santa Anas. In the same way, they had a name for this wind, only Yorakilo was much stronger. Uh, the winds were much more violent than our Santa Anas. So they're in the midst of a violent storm. They can't face the storm. They know they can't sail into the storm, so they have to let down the sails and just allow the ship to be driven out to sea. And they're out to sea for about three days. The storm isn't letting up. And so they jettison all the cargo because the ship is filling up so much with water. Well, many more days pass in which they haven't seen the sun or the stars and they haven't eaten any food and they're approaching two weeks in the midst of this horrific storm and all the sailors have given up hope of ever being saved. Paul cannot resist the temptation to say, you should have listened to me. <laughs> I told you so. But then he encouraged them. He said, we're going to be okay. An angel of the God whom I serve came and stood before me last night and assured me that I must stand before Caesar. So God had a purpose and a plan for Paul's life. He wasn't done with Paul yet, so the ship's not going down. They're not all going to die. He's got to stand before Caesar. I love that. Makes me want to stand up on an airplane sometime and say, if you're afraid of crashing, don't worry, a child of God is on board. 
If God's not done with me, you're going to be okay. The plane's not going to crash. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so they're waiting. It seems like there might be some land. They might be surmising. They might be drawing near to some land. So they take a sounding, and it measures 20 fathoms, about 120 feet. Then a little while later, they take another sounding. It measures 15 fathoms, about 90 feet. They know it's getting more shallow. And so for fear of running aground, they drop the anchors down off of the stern to wait for daylight. If we're coming near land, maybe in daylight we'll be able to see it. Well, some of the soldiers decided this is their chance to escape, and so they're lowering the lifeboat by ropes down to the sea. They can jump in the lifeboat and escape. And Paul finds out what's going on, and he goes to the Roman centurion, and he says, if these men flee, if they jump ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Now, the Roman centurion is starting to realize, I should probably listen to this guy named Paul. So he gives the order and they cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away so that no one can escape. Well, sure enough, the next morning, they see that there is a beach up ahead. So they cut the ropes to the anchors, they hoist the sail, and they start heading toward the beach. But the prow of the ship gets stuck in a reef. And the gigantic waves are battering the stern and the ship is being broken all apart. So they realize, we better swim for it. And those who could swim, swam to land. Those who could not swim, grabbed a board, some floating device, and they made their way to the shore. God's promise was fulfilled. The ship was destroyed, but there, no, there was no loss of life. They discovered that they were on an island called Malta, just south of Sicily, which is at the southern tip of Italy. They discovered that they're not far from their destination, where they were headed. And I couldn't help but smile when I, when I read that. Here they are in the midst of this fierce, ferocious storm, feeling like all is lost, and God gets them through the storm, and lo and behold, here they are, <laughs> closer to their destination. I thought that's how it works spiritually, doesn't it? God allows storms, raging storms, in our lives. Sometimes we're so fearful, it does seem like we're just going to lose everything. And then when God gets us through the storm, we realize we're closer to our destination than ever before, our spiritual destination, which is to be conformed into the image of Christ. Because it's through those storms, those fearful times, when we draw closer to the Lord than ever before, really grabbing a hold of Him, seeking Him, spending time with Him, trusting Him, waiting upon Him. So spiritually, we are being refined and purified. And then by the time He gets us through the storm, our faith has grown enormously. Because like the song we sang today, He made a way when there was no way. <laughs> And we realize we can trust God. We can have confidence in God no matter what's going on in our lives. So he gets us through the storm, and lo and behold, we're closer to our spiritual destination than before. 
The question that arises is, why did God say through Paul, if these guys jump ship, you cannot be saved? God always has a reason for whatever he says and whatever he does. He could have allowed those guys to escape and still saved everyone on the ship. He could have allowed those guys to drown in their escape attempt and still saved everybody on the ship. Why did God say through Paul, if they jump ship, you cannot be saved? I think the answer is clear when we look at the symbolism of storms in the Bible. What does a raging storm represent scripturally? Well, it represents the severe hardships and afflictions when we really are starting to panic because it looks like our whole lives are falling apart. We're going to lose everything. Isaiah 25, verse 4. The Lord helps the helpless. He is a refuge from the storm. The Lord helps the helpless. He's a refuge in the storm. It's like the safe harbor. If they would have stayed in fair haven, <laughs> peaceful harbor, they would have been fine. The Lord is that safe harbor for us. And during the raging storm, all we have to do is draw near to the Lord, spend time with the Lord, stay close to the Lord, put our trust in the Lord, wait upon the Lord, and he will minister peace until we break through into the eye of the storm. The eye of the storm mysteriously is very peaceful and tranquil, though the storm is raging all around. And God wants us to discover that he is a refuge in the storm. Now, the storm also represents God's anger and wrath because of all the evil that is in the world. And when he sends judgment, he sends destruction, and it's referred to as a storm. Jeremiah 23, 19. The storm of the Lord goes forth in wrath. The storm of the Lord goes forth in wrath. So we want to make sure we are with the Lord, we're in the ship of salvation, and we want to make sure we don't jump ship, otherwise we cannot be saved. Now, I believe that God is dealing with a pattern of behavior that develops in some people's lives where at an early age, they decide the best way to deal with a problem is to run from it. <laughs> if I can get far enough away from it, I don't have to deal with it. And then they never do learn how to deal with problem issues as they go through life. And so God is just saying, don't jump ship. Don't run from your problems. Don't flee. Draw near to me. Find the eye of the storm, experience my peace in the, in, in the midst of the storm, and then discover how I am able to rescue you. <clears throat> discover that I have the answers and the solutions to all of the problems of life, even when you're confused and, and you don't know what the answer might be. Draw near to the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Don't run. Now, maybe this morning you're in the midst of a raging storm. Maybe in your life the winds are howling and gigantic 30-foot waves are crashing down upon you. It looks like maybe you're going to lose everything. 
That's the message. Don't jump ship. Don't run. Don't flee. That's not, that's not how God wants us to deal with problems. That's not why God allows the storms. He wants us to stay in the storm and put our trust in him and just stay close to him to discover whatever his answer, whatever his solution is, to discover he can provide a way when there is no way and our faith is built up and we grow stronger, we get closer to our spiritual destination. Well, you don't know my boss. He's horrible. He treats everybody good except me. For some reason, he doesn't like me. And he gives me all the bad jobs. And no matter how I try, I can't do anything right. He criticizes me all the time. He gives me terrible reviews. That's it. I can't take this one day longer. I'm out of here. No. Seek the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. If you jump ship... You'll never discover what the Lord would have done for you in that situation. Wait upon the Lord. Find that place of peace and rest in the midst of the storm while you're waiting on God to provide the solution. Maybe that boss is going to mess up and get fired and get replaced by an incredible boss that loves you. Or maybe all of a sudden a job opportunity is going to come up. The Lord opens the door for him to get another job. And a new boss comes in that's wonderful. Thank you, God. Wow, look what you've done for me. I didn't have an answer. I thought the answer was to quit my job and run and flee. I'm so glad I didn't do that. I'm so glad I just waited upon you. Or maybe you meet somebody because of the job you have with that company who knows about a better job with a different company and you apply and you get it and you love it and you get paid twice as much. <laughs> you don't know what the Lord's going to do and you're never going to find out if you jump ship. Teenager says, well, you don't know my parents. They're awful. They're horrible. Their rules are so unfair. I don't get to do any of the things the other kids get to do. They don't understand me. They don't even try to understand me. That's it. I can't stand this one more day. I'm out of here. I'm going to run away. <laughs> they have no idea how much evil is out there in the world and how much harm could come to them. But if they would just stay on the ship, wait on the Lord, put their trust in the Lord, wait and see what God would do for you. He loves you. He has a solution when there doesn't seem like there is any solution. Prayer is powerful. Prayer changes hearts. Maybe God will touch your parents' heart and they'll see things a little bit differently. Life will be a little bit better. The Lord loves you. Wait and see what he'll do for you. Maybe he'll open your eyes and you'll see why they do some of the things they do, make the decisions they make and the rules they make, and you'll be amazed and you'll be more thankful for your parents and appreciate them more. Don't jump ship. Don't run away. That's not the answer. Well, you don't know my husband. <laughs> He's impossible. He never wants to talk, communicate. He doesn't listen to me. Oh, he worked hard on his job, but he won't do anything around here that I ask him to do. That's it. I cannot stand this one day longer. I'm, I'm out of here. My friends were miserable in their marriage. They're divorced. They got to escape. Why shouldn't I be able to escape? Besides, my husband tricked me. He tricked me into marrying him. He was Mr. Wonderful and Mr. Charming before we got married. 
Then after we're married for a while, I find out he's got a moody side and a grumpy side and a little bit of a temper side. And because I was tricked, therefore I'm justified in leaving. Or, you don't know my wife. She is impossible. She never shuts up. I try. I and no matter what I do, she criticizes me. I can't do anything right. I get no respect. She doesn't even try to satisfy my needs. I can't take this one day longer. I'm out of here. Besides, she tricked me. <laughs> tricked me into marrying her. Told me she was pregnant. <laughs> then after we got married, she loses the baby. Yeah, right. There was no pregnancy. And because I was tricked, therefore, I am justified in leaving. No. You're not. God's still at work. God's fulfilling his work in your life, his plan for your life. If anybody was ever tricked into getting married, it was Jacob. Remember the story of Jacob? <laughs> Fell in love with Rachel. I mean head over heels. He was so in love. Her father says, I will give you her hand in marriage if you work for me for seven years. And he said, okay. And it seemed like a few short days to him because of the great love that he had for her. Finally, seven years. Wedding day comes, big feast, big celebration. That night, going into the tent to consummate the marriage. And it's dark in there and she's wearing a veil. And he consummates the marriage. And he wakes up in the morning, and by morning light, he looks at his bride, and it's not Rachel. It's her older sister, Leah. The <laughs> Bible says she had weak eyes. We're not even sure what that means. <laughs> well, it could be she had poor vision. It could be she did not have beautiful eyes. It could mean she's hard to look at. But he didn't want Rachel. I mean, he didn't want Leah. He wanted Rachel. He's so upset, he storms in to see Laban. What have you done to me? You tricked me. Well, you should have known the custom in these parts. The younger sister never gets married before the older sister. But I'll give you Rachel too. You can have her as your wife also if you'll work for me another seven years. Man, if anybody was justified in bailing on his wife Leah, <laughs> it was Jacob. But he stayed waiting upon the Lord, trusting in the Lord to work out his purpose and his plan. God still is in charge. He's still in control. He still has a purpose and a plan, even when we're miserable and we feel like we're being treated unfairly. It's amazing what happened. You know, the Messiah to come through the line of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and through which son of Jacob would the Messiah come? Through the line of Judah. Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. But Judah wasn't born to Jacob by Rachel. Judah was born to Jacob by Leah. And had he left, he messes up God's whole plan. Never would have found out what God had planned for him. Then, when it comes time for Jacob to die... It's startling. He doesn't request that his body 
be buried with his beloved Rachel in the tomb near Bethlehem, he asked that his body be buried in Machpelah with Leah. Isn't that amazing? What happened? We don't know for sure. But apparently, he fell deeply, deeply in love with Leah. Apparently, he grew to love her in a very deep way, maybe the person that she was, the mother that she was to the children. And maybe he finally realized what seemed like injustice, an unfairness, horribly tricked, was all a part of God's purpose and God's plan. He's still in control. Maybe you've been hanging in there in a bad marriage, and you're miserable in your marriage, and you've been praying, and you've been waiting, and you've been trusting the Lord to work, but you're not totally trusting Him because you have an escape plan. The lifeboat's right there. If you have an escape plan, you're not totally trusting the Lord. And if you have an escape plan, it's just a matter of time. You're going to use it because you're going to have a weak moment. You're being strong, you're being strong, waiting on the Lord, but you're going to have a weak moment on a bad day, and you're going to say, that's it, I'm out of here. What do you need to do? You need to cut the ropes to the lifeboat. So there's no escape plan. Now you're really trusting the Lord. You need to cancel the appointment with the divorce attorney, and you need to stop using the D word every time you get in an argument. Stop thinking about escaping, fleeing, jumping ship, and truly put your trust in the Lord. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about situations of abuse. There's mental, emotional abuse, physical abuse. She has to go for her own safety or her children's safety. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the normal frustrations of marriage. All marriages go through times of Friction, strife. Days not liking each other very much. Because you're married to someone who's imperfect, who has flaws. I'm talking about the normal, typical frustrations that make marriage miserable at times. Don't jump ship or you will not discover what God would have done for you. And you will leave and you will not make your life better. You will end up making your life worse. Don't jump ship. Now, if that is true with regard to our human relationships, we're not getting along, so we leave. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't care if I never see you again. Those precious relationships are ruined if we flee, if we, if we jump ship. But how much more important with regard to our relationship with the Lord He allows the storms of life to come, doesn't he? And sometimes they're so fierce and so severe, we just feel like we're about to lose everything. And we just just want to run because Satan's in our ear. Is this not proof enough that there's no God? Where's your God now? Is this not proof enough that even if there is a God, he doesn't love you? Loving God be letting this happen to you? And it makes sense. And it's so logical. And they shake their fist at God in anger. And they curse God. And they harden their heart. And they turn and walk away from God. But if you jump ship, 
you can't be saved. No matter how difficult it is at times, if we'll, if we'll hang in there with the Lord, stay on the ship. Does this not remind you of Noah's ship that he built, the ark? Because God's judgment and wrath was coming upon the world. God provided a way they could be saved. And when the ark was finished, everyone was invited. Come, come on, enter the ark. Be saved from the wrath to come. Everybody's welcome. Whosoever will may come. And what did they do? They laughed and they mocked. There's going to be one last outpouring of God's wrath and God's judgment upon this earth. And the ark of safety and salvation is finished. Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it is finished. Everyone is welcome to come to me. Get on board. You'll be fine. You'll be saved from the wrath that is to come. But what do people do today? They mock and they scoff and they laugh. In those days, when those people saw the storm did come and the floodwaters begin to rise, uh-oh, we're sorry. We were wrong. Please let us on the boat. The door was already closed. It was too late. God's judgment comes. Judgment day. Uh-oh. Um, 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 we're sorry. It's too late. And think about Noah's family on that ark. Think about what it was like, how miserable it must have been at certain points. I mean, week after week after week after week for months. I can't stand the smell of this place one day longer. I can't stand having to clean up these messes every day. And I'm sick and tired of the confinement. I want my freedom to do stuff I like to do. What are you going to do? Jump off the ship in the midst of the storm? Go ahead, but you can't be saved. I believe times are going to get tougher and tougher, not easier, harder and harder. But all you need to do is picture Jesus hanging on the cross, arms stretched out, nails through his hands and his feet, and saying to you, I hung in there for you. It wasn't fair what I was going through. Greatest miscarriage of justice the world has ever seen. It wasn't fair. And in the midst of the anguish and the pain, I hung in there for you. Will you hang in there with me? When what's happening in your life is so unfair, and there's anguish and agony and pain, I hung in there for you. Will you hang in there with me? Because if you don't, if you jump ship, you can't be saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Puts our minds and our hearts at rest. Just knowing storms of life will come. And sometimes they're raging storms. Sometimes we're so fearful. It seems like we're going to lose everything. But it's only so that you can prove to us your love and your power. How you're always able to make a way even when there is no way. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be surprised by the violent storms of life. Thank you for reminding us, Lord, through this passage of Scripture that if we jump ship, we'll never find out what you could have and would have done 
for us. May we not be the people that run from problems, but face them head on with full confidence and faith in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. One final judgment of God is coming upon this earth. One final raging storm is coming. The ark is finished. It's ready. And the invitation is being extended. Come on board. Come on board. Come to Christ. You'll be, you'll be in a safe place. You'll be protected from the wrath that is to come. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful Savior we have. But you need to make him your Savior by opening your heart. Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm ready to do things your way. Thank you for loving me and dying for me. Will you come into my heart? Would you be my Lord and Savior? Some of you need to get on the ship today. Others of you have walked away from God. And you've jumped ship. You cannot be saved unless you come back. There's still time to come back. So whether you need to make a first-time commitment to Christ or rededicate your life to Christ, pray this prayer after me. Those of you who are here today, those of you who are watching online, pray this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned. I have fallen short of your righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you, Jesus, for suffering and dying for me. I believe in you. I receive you now as my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Wash me, cleanse me from all sin and save me from the judgment and the punishment I deserve. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life. From this day forward, through the rest of my life, through the rest of eternity, I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you pray?